I'm your host, Jeff Dawson, for another episode of Dawson's Domain, where we cover the spectrum of life's pressing issues and events, from politics to relationships, sports to horror, alternative history to poetry, humor to baseball coaching, and everything in between. Good afternoon, Jeff Dawson from a very, very sunny, no wind, 67 in Dallas, Texas on November 13th, and this is just the perfect fall day. It just drives me nuts when all these people come on and start bitching and moaning about daylight savings time and all. You know, just get over it. Yeah, I would like a little extra daylight, but hey. It's fall, and this is a perfect fall day, and that is one of the, uh, I can't think of the word right off the top of my head, but uh, it's the aesthetic part of fall when you get that sunset and the leaves are changing. It just has a whole different feeling to it. I remember when I grew up in Delaware, we loved fall. Of course, we had some really nice trees, great variety. And they actually did change color. In Texas, they go from green to brown. But in Delaware, we actually got all those different colors. And I do remember how that must have been first grade, where we got the wax paper and the iron. You took the leaves and you made this little collage with them. Yeah, I still remember that. 55 plus years ago or so. It's just a really good time of year. Okay. If you want to call in and you have comments, the number is 888-627-6008 or 323-744-4831. And if your friends are having trouble listening to it or can't actually pull up the link, there's a number you can call in. They, they can call in at 631-359-9353. And the first shout out this afternoon is going to be for the Berries because without their generosity and help, we wouldn't be doing this show today. That's just a fact, Jack. I mean, you can subscribe to this at $2.99, $5.99, $9.99, or whatever you want to donate that's what keeps this alive this is what i'm doing for a living i got out of construction i'd had enough of getting beaten up and not getting paid in just the day-to-day rigors of why am i doing this but that's okay so that's how you can contribute and just go to the bbs website and it's pretty Straightforward, specific how you do it. But again, thank you to uh, Patty and Jerry for your very kind donation last night. It is being put to good use. Now, if you're interested in management seminars, I have a book, Cutting to the Chase. And that's based on 35 years of construction 
management techniques that I used and they worked. Now, some people, especially a percentage of millennials might think it's too harsh. Well, I look at it this way. When you hire someone for, I don't care if it's 50, 75, 100,000 plus, whatever it is, if they're not producing, what are you going to do? Go hold their hand, give them a warm cup of tea, or give them a comfort pet to make them feel better while your company continues to lose money and they keep screwing up. Yeah, I don't think that's the uh, route you want to go. And that's what my book really delves into. One of the biggest part is accountability. And if you've been watching the news of late, that seems to be the new catchword. During the pandemic and all, it was, ah, shit, I got so sick of hearing it. What was that word? Unprecedented. That's what everything was unprecedented. It was unprecedented. Well, now someone's actually figured out how about accountability? Because if you don't have accountability at work, you're just going to have a shit show. That's pretty much what it comes down to. That's all there is to it. People don't want to be accountable. They just keep pushing the ball around. They keep pushing the problem to the next week. They push it to somebody else. Because they're hoping somebody else will take care of it. And when it's all said and done, nobody takes care of it. Everything goes to hell. And then everyone starts pointing fingers. But they don't know who to point them at because no one will be accountable. And believe me, in my 35 years of construction, I was in that seat many times. It was like, I did it. I remember doing a pour on a uh, crash wall for the TRW coming out of downtown Dallas to Irving. And. I didn't check the foreman's work. We poured it. It was about nine yards of concrete, and the whole thing blew out. Luckily, no one was hurt. But when those forms went, it sounded like a machine gun going off. Those Simon forms just let loose. Well, let's see. We didn't have enough braces. We didn't have enough whalers. You name it. We didn't do it. I got in a hurry. I didn't check the work. The superintendent came over, and instead of chewing me out, he chewed out my foreman. I said, hey, Darwin. I'm the one that approved the poor. He goes, yeah, but Juan knows better. I said, that doesn't matter if Juan knew better. I'm his superior. You want to chew somebody out, chew me out, okay? He said, fine, then you're chewed out. Do you feel better? I said, yeah, I feel better. But don't, don't put this on Juan's shoulders. He did what I instructed him to do. We moved forward. It cost the, I think that wall failure cost probably about $5,000 because we lost all the concrete. Uh, we were able to salvage the steel and probably yeah, 75% of the forms. The rest of them were gone. They just, they, they had exploded. Okay. So I do those seminars. And also this week, I sent out a bunch of flyers to sororities, to the national headquarters on my breast cancer relationship speech. And I haven't heard back from any of them yet, but I am trying to be positive that one of them will see that and say, hey, we would like for him to come talk because I have three books about it. Love's True Second Chance, Why Did Everything Happen in Living with Breast Cancer? And how many men have written a relationship book dealing with breast cancer. I don't know of any. I haven't read any. I've read a lot of these <coughs> memoirs from men 
but nothing like this. So those are out there. Now, a quick news flash for those of you that are college fans, there could be a major upset brewing. It's 24 to 14 Baylor with 226 to go. Wouldn't that be something if Baylor could pull this off? I'd be happy because that means OSU is going to have a chance at possibly winning or at least being a co-leader at the end of the year with OU, but they'll have to beat OU, which I've gone through that record many times, and I'd have to live to be, I think, 132, and I'm 62 now. Yeah, that's how lopsided the series is. So I've got to live another 71 years. And OSU would have to win every game just to tie it up. Yeah. I know, even though it's a clear sky in Dallas, I did not see a herd of pigs fly by. That's how confident I am about that. And on Herbalife, my progress is still good. You know, weather's been a little cool. We've had some rain. But... I do a shake a day. I walk two to two and a half miles a day. I do a protein bar. And it's really helped the amount of money I spent on groceries. And with inflation the way it is right now, and everyone's really getting concerned, except the White House. They wouldn't know if they had a problem, if it slapped them up the side of the head and drowned them in it, they'd still say, oh, everything's fine. Or they just give us a bunch of damn lip service of, well, that's a real challenge. And we're really looking into that. No, you're not. They're not looking into a damn thing. The, the lip service from this administration is so pathetic. I can't think of a president. I mean, this is worse than Obama. It really is. I've never seen so many empty heads in my life. It's really a sad state of affairs. But before I get off, get off of that, I want to give a shout out to my best friend, Mike Palin's daughter. She and her husband, Daniel, have founded the Woodall Foundation. And what they do is they're missionaries and travel to Moldavia every year and they stay there like a month or two and teach sign. So all of the people they deal with are deaf. So the only way they communicate is through sign. And uh, that's what she studied in college. And is, if you want to say that there's a couple doing the Lord's work, it's these two. And, Becky is, I know Mike is so proud of her. He died of a massive heart attack in April of 2001. And that was really, really crushing. But they're on Facebook. So look them up if you would like to give them some donations because they've got to pay for these trips. The church helps, but they also have to raise funds to go over there and, uh, you can actually, you know, she posts a lot, a lot of pictures, so you know what your money's going to, and you get to see it because she has so much fun in what she does, very passionate about it, and uh, you just look at those pictures and go, she's really into this. 
very much so. So if you know people that do sign, the work with the deaf and would be interested, we'll pass that on. And again, it is the Woodall Foundation and it's Becky and Daniel Woodall. Mike would be very, very proud. Uh, he was my best friend starting in junior high. I'll talk about that another day. Okay. Book review. Well, I'm going to review my book, Women of War. There's a copy of it. And all this is, is a, I think, 16 poems, and it's dedicated to the women that have served our country on the front lines and on the home front. And I was looking through this, trying to figure out what my favorite poem was. I'm going to tell you what it is, but I'm not going to read it yet. And it's the last one in the book called The Picture. And I actually think it's one of my best military poems I've written. Because for those of you that follow me on my blog, LDDJ Enterprises, I posted three for Veterans Day. I'm very patriotic. I am an American. And that's all there is to it. Let's see. And right now it's got four reviews. Let's talk about reviews for a minute. I appreciate everyone that purchases my books. Absolutely. But what really pushes book sales are reviews. Because the way the algorithms on Amazon are set up, just because you get one review doesn't mean anything. It gets zero exposure. It just doesn't move up. And the last time I checked, once you hit 75, that's where their algorithms kick in. And they start promoting that on their own. It just moves up on the search engines, however they work that out. But reviews help. And they're wonderful, even if it's a bad review. If it weren't for bad reviews, then as a writer, I can't make my work better. In fact, just recently, um, a a colleague of mine over in Great Britain, he wrote a book. And I was on, I think I was his first guest on his podcast or one of them. It's called the BuzzFeed. And he took the wrong approach. I read his book and I gave him constructive criticism. And he got his panties in a wad. And I'm like, really? I'm not attacking you. And, and this is the problem with authors. authors. They will take it as a personal attack on them. And it's not. We are criticizing the work. It's just like this show. If you don't like things that I say, if you don't like the topics that I cover or how I cover them, put a comment up 
and say, hey, you went over the top there, or you're talking through your ass, which we all do at times, and go from there. But it's not a personal attack. And he got all bent out of shape. Haven't heard from him since. And it's like, you need an editor because he was promoting an editing service. It's like, oh, God, no. No, no, no. If this is what your editor lets slide through, you're going to have some really upset people, especially if they pay you for the service. And then readers come back and say, what, did you have some kindergarten edit this book? And I have seen that before, even on supposed from books that came from one of the big five. And I think one book, Helmet for a Pillow, Pillow, Helmet for a Pillow, I think that's what it was. It was about nurses serving in World War II. It was so horribly edited, I couldn't believe it. And I fired them off my critique. And by God, like two months later, I got a message from them and said, Mr. Dawson, despite you being an asshole, no, they didn't say that. We have gone back, reread this, and have made all of the changes you suggested. And it's like, thumbs up. The book deserved it. Yes, I was pleased that they acknowledged my comments on it, but it was such a good subject matter. Take the time to get it properly edited. Otherwise, you can have the best idea in the world, and it will be the worst book because it doesn't work. It's poorly edited. The sentence structure is bad. The paragraph structure is bad. The flow is bad. And that's what I ran into with the last book I released, The Cauldron. Even though I'd used this editor for like, I don't know, four or five years, this was not her finest hour. It was her worst hour, and she wouldn't admit it. And I hate to say it, but yeah, she's a liberal. Well, she got her feelings hurt. Needless to say, we parted ways. But it's so it's okay to criticize me, the writer, but it's not okay for the writer to criticize the editor. If you have a problem with your editor like that, fire them. They're not helping you at all. At all. And just because you're comfortable with them doesn't mean it's a good match because they're not doing your work justice. So I wound up editing the cauldron. Then I gave it to... Uh, one of my good associates and friends, Ross Goff, and I said, I not only need you to read this, I need you to proofread it. Because he has a very good mind and an excellent eye. And he caught things that I missed. But when after I got his recommendations and I cleaned it up, I had a good book to publish. And to this day, that editor just doesn't understand. Well, I don't know what I did wrong. Well, you screwed the pooch. Just admit it. Hey, it wasn't my best day. And God, we were exchanging emails back and forth. And how about that? Baylor won. Yes. Uh, back and forth. And then she starts listing off all of her medical issues and this, that, and the other. Well, I got medical issues too, but I didn't use those as excuses. 
and how I wrote the book. So, folks, if you got an editor that says, I'm right, you're wrong, give them the thumb if you know you're right and they're wrong because nobody is winning. And your book's going to be a disaster and your readers will let you know in a heartbeat just how bad it really is. And let's see. So who all was at Dunstan's last night? Well, we had Patty and Jerry, who I mentioned earlier, Wes, Tabitha, and Tracy. And Tracy, I hadn't seen him probably five or six weeks just to do schedules, but I've been trying to get in touch with her boss because she runs the Dunstan's on Lover's Lane, which it's, you know, Dunstan's is a really good place to eat. Um, and I found out that she had been diagnosed with colon cancer and she'd had surgery and it was successful, but, uh, a, a big shout out to her because Tracy said when the doctor ran the scope and basically told her that, uh, her life was over, Stephanie just looked at him and said, I'm the 1%. And apparently the doctor didn't uh, agree with her saying, and she repeated it, I am the 1%. So she is a remarkably strong, determined woman and appears to be on the mend. So our thoughts and prayers go out to Stephanie because I really did enjoy chatting with her when I met her back in September and did the book signing there. That's that was That was a lot of fun. So... I'm glad to know that she is doing better, much better. Ranger report. There's nothing to report. Isn't that great? Yes. We're still licking our wounds from that horrendous, horrible, the worst season ever for the Texas Rangers. And that seems to be a real hot topic in Dallas. There's talk that, oh, we want to pick up Clayton Kershaw. Why? Well, he can end his career in Texas. If you're rebuilding the team, you're going to start picking up players that want to end your career, end their career. No, 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 no. That's not the way this works. You're building a team. You're not picking up. Damaged goods. Kershaw is damaged goods. His best years are behind him. Hell, he couldn't play in the playoffs because it had another elbow injury. Hoping he doesn't have to have surgery. Well, that's all we need is another arm that's gone through Tommy John surgery or extensive elbow surgery. I mean, they tried it with Smiley who wound up with the Braves, but they brought Smiley back too soon, and hopefully these moronic owners and managers starting to realize that uh, it takes a year and a half to two years to completely come back from Tommy John surgery. See, that was the mistake the Rangers made with Shinsu, not Shinsu, with you Darvish. He had Tommy John. They brought him back the next year. He was way too soon. He got shelled. They shipped him off to the Dodgers. Then the Dodgers shipped him off to the Cubs, and his arm healed, and you was back to his old form. Well, we want to bring, what is Kershaw, 35 or 36? So you want to bring him 
over here if he has to have elbow surgery in the offseason and be one of your starting pitchers. No, 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 no. That's not the way this works. That's not the way it works. Period. You are looking for youth. You are looking for a veteran that's got five to six years left that's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. What a novel idea. And I keep up with this from Brian Dieter's uh, Ranger Report podcast on Facebook. Because he does have some decent guests. He's had me on there once, and I enjoyed it. <coughs> but uh, he's in tune with them, and he brings updates. So the good news is there's nothing to report. So John, John Daniels hasn't made any significantly ignorant, monumental moves yet, but give it time. Give it time. Let's see what they do in the winter meetings. That's going to be scary. So what about that World Series with the Braves and the Astros? Going into it, I was asked, who do you think is going to win? I'm an American League guy. I'm going to root for the American League. But watching those playoffs in the Atlanta pitching staff and bullpen, it's like, as much as I'd like to see the Astros win, I don't think they can overcome the Braves pitching. And as we saw, they couldn't, especially in game six when the starter Freed got in trouble. And he got out of it. In game two, he wasn't so lucky. He got shell-shocked in game two. But in game six, he stayed composed. It didn't matter if Houston got two men on base. It didn't matter if it was second and third with no outs. He rose to the occasion. And that's what the whole team did. They rose to the occasion, and they kept putting on the heat. They wouldn't give Houston an inch. They'd bend a little, but they didn't break. I mean, what game was it? Was it game four, I think, where the Astros left 11 men on base? Well, hell, that's what the Rangers do, and we see how their record wound up. You can't leave 11 men on base and expect to win. You just can't. And the Braves took advantage of the opportunities. They got the runs when they needed them, and the pitching and the bullpen showed up and locked the door. So you can't take anything away from Atlanta. I mean, Houston is probably going to be looking for one or two front-line starters and one solid reliever because Valdez, he did not have stellar starts. And every time Javier came in, I just grimaced. It's like, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, here we go again. But. You know, Dusty Baker used what he had. And it was good enough for the season, but it wasn't good enough to win the World Series. Still, it was exciting. I'd have loved to have seen a game seven. But that wasn't in the cards. Steve Bannon is back in the news. 
that he didn't show up for a hearing. So what? And they want to ask him what he knew about the January 6th, quote, insurrection. How the hell would he know? He was only in Trump's administration for eight months. January 20th, 2017 to August 18th of 2017. Well, here's another witch hunt. And, of course, all the liberals that I know, as well, I take that back, not all, but one in particular who I unfriended because he's just a nutcase. This has got to be the third or fourth post he's had is, oh, the dominoes are starting to fall. If I was Banyan, I wouldn't show up. It's like, dude, I wasn't even there. I don't know what the hell was going on. You know, I'm not in office, but then they did the same thing with Manafort, and all the liberals lost their minds over that. How many months was Manafort involved with Trump on the campaign level? Two. That's it. But he was an insider, and he knew everything. And God, the media makes me sick to my stomach. Absolutely sick. And those that just suck it up 110% and believe every piece of garbage they kick out. I mean, you want to talk about brainwashing. They have been brainwashed. There's no way around it. But they don't see it. And that's the scary part. These adults don't see that they've been brainwashed. That they have been, you know, they wanted to reprogram. Isn't that what Katie Couric said on Bill Maurer? I just think they all need to be reprogrammed. Hey, why don't you shut the hell up, you little blonde bitch? What do you know? You don't know jack shit. Now, there's a video on YouTube where you can meet the whole shit family. So maybe Katie needs to go meet the shit family on YouTube. And then she can say, I know jack shit. Yeah, well, you're still dumb as a brick. Because I know there's not a brick family video out there that anyone's going to uh, be introduced to. But yeah, of course, you know, they're all excited. Albanian might go to jail. This, that, and the other. For what? Tell me how he was involved in the January 6th fiasco and he hadn't been there for three and a half years. But we know that the Justice Department and the FBI were weaponized under Obama. And we really saw how bad it was when Trump was president. And again, we're seeing just how corrupt this whole system is. It, it's we, we need a complete cleansing. We need a complete cleansing of both houses. What we need... God, I hate to say it, and I said it last week, a dictator. We're not going to get this country back on truck track with our two-party system. It's not going to happen. Now, you can watch Fox, and you can listen to them talk about 2022 and this big change that's going to take place. Well, what about the 13 Republicans that voted for this infrastructure bill? I thought everyone was supposed to be lockstep. Now, I'm all about partisanship, but 
sadly, <clears throat> with the exception of the coronavirus bills that Trump signed, when it comes to real policy, because that was about spending money, so of course everyone's up for that. Nobody wants to go back to the constituents and say, oh, by the way, uh, you're not getting any extra money even though we shut you down and you can't work. You know, those went through without a hitch. But real policy, I mean, look at the infrastructure bill that uh, Trump and I can't even say her name, Pelosi, were supposed to be discussing in 2018. And uh, we know how that meeting went. From that point on, Trump and Pelosi never talked. Because she pretty well said, well, this is what you're going to do, and this is how you're going to do it. And he said, get your pruny ass out of here. That's not what we're doing. You're not the president. And so we didn't get an infrastructure bill. And this one that they just passed, I really haven't looked into it, but uh, I'm not holding my breath. It's going to be like the stimulus bills that Obama passed that were just stopgap measures. They were good for the short term, but long term, it was hard to say. And I do remember, you know, people, yes. Uh, I'll, I'll give Obama credit for it. The economy was getting back on track, and it was coming around. But I saw some of those jobs, and one was in Oklahoma, and it was an overlay project on 6975 Indian Nations Turnpike, whatever you want to call it, and it was an overlay around Kiowa, which I had... Uh, tried to push concrete overlays back in the uh, early 90s when I first read about them in Engineering News Record and tried like hell to find a client that would want to do this. I came close in, uh, I think it was Kemp, Texas. They're really interested, but, you know, who wants to be first? Now, what it came down to is nobody wanted to be first, even though there was a substantial cost savings, because you don't have to remove all the old pavement. That's the advantage of the concrete overlay. It's a high-strength concrete, very high strength, like 6,000 PSI. The steel's a little different. I mean, there are some intricacies that you have to take into account when you do it, and not every project is... Um, a good candidate just due to drainage issues and the age of the old pavement with the subgrades like uh, but I'm not going to get into the technical stuff well they did this in Kiowa God I don't know how many times they've repatched it and repaired it it's been a mess but it was a quick shot job that came off of the stimulus money, and they're finding out uh, lifespan sucked. I think they were repairing sections of it six months after they finished. Do I blame the contractor? No, because the contractor built it 
according to the specs that the state of Oklahoma supplied. And the inspectors approved it. So it was just one of those experiments that didn't pan out. And someone might say, well, what are they doing experimenting with our money? Well, there used to be a section of asphalt going into Kaufman from uh, Sigaville to Kaufman. Almost that whole highway was a test highway. Well, what's a test highway? That's where they're using a new material to see how well it performs. So it's not like these vaccine uh, groups they got together that, you know, in three or four months they said, hey, we tested it, it's good, it's got 87 or 94% efficacy, and it's good to go. On a highway job, it might be a 10-year study. It might be 15. It just depends because we want our highways to last 30 to 40 years. Well, you're not going to find out if it's going to hold up in a year because it's only gone through one freeze-thaw cycle. And if you didn't have a freeze, then you really haven't tested the whole roadway. But that's a test section. I mean, we actually did one when I worked at Tobin on uh, I-35 just south of Gainesville. That job was from Gainesville to Pilot Point. And I think there were three miles of that new pavement that was a new type of concrete, and the state was going to monitor it for 10 years. So it was it had its own specifications versus the rest of the job because it was like a 15-mile 15 or 20 mile project. But it was a test section. So they can determine, hey, is that something we want to use in the future? It, you know, if it lasted 15 years and it's had minimal maintenance required, yeah, looks like it performed. Okay. But, you know, Steve Bannon, what a joke. He had nothing to, he wasn't there. That'd be like me serving one day in the Trump administration and getting subpoenaed by Congress as an insider. It's like, I was only there a day. Well, what'd you hear? Who'd you meet? What'd you, hell, I was stuck with HR, filling out the paperwork and then realized I can't work for these idiots and walked out, but you were there for a day. <laughs> okay, yeah, I walked in the door and I walked out the door. Well, you must've heard something. I didn't hear jack shit. Oh, that's right. Katie Kirk's watching that video down the hall and telling everyone how smart she is because now she knows who jack shit is. Idiot. But that, that's the way I look at these investigations. It's like, so you served a day. Then you must know everything. Nobody knows everything. That's like saying the president knows everything. Well, we know the current president doesn't know anything. What a pathetic, I, I don't even want to get into how pathetic he is. It's just appalling. Yet, <laughs> excuse me, those on, the, those on the left that are hardcore, they're not going to call him out for anything. Hell, he could be playing with Lincoln Logs on his desk in the Oval Office, and they'd say he, was, he always wanted to be an aspiring architect. I mean, they will cover for him no matter what. Let's give him some of the old Legos, see if he can build the house foundation with the windows and doors. I remember 
playing with those. And then he'd be, look, he, he, he should have been a general contractor. His, his style and his vision are nothing. You got plastic blocks. You got the window frames. You got to figure, you know, the, the way the media covers him, it's just, it's appalling. It's appalling. But on the humorous side, Medicare commercials. Who here is sick and tired of these? I, and I think the worst one is the one with the 75-year-old Martha. And, and just, the whole, I don't know who writes these or who puts them together, but they've got to have some of the dumbest people there are. I mean, do you really care what Joe Namath Will Shatner and uh, uh, oh, the dynamite guy. Not camera, Jimmy, whatever it is. You really care what they got to say about it, and who the hell is paying for this? But the Martha gal, I'm not calling. Then don't. Because nobody wants to hear from you. If you're going to call up and be all crabby and rabby and irritating, I'd hang up on her too. Hello, is this Martha? Yes, and I'm not happy. I'm not getting my benefits. Well, you should have called earlier. Click, bye. Call back again when you have a pleasant personality. That ain't going to happen. But, I mean, I'm sick of them. And they've been running for over a year now. It's just this continual cycle. And, of course, you got the Humana commercial that just goes, what is that guy's name? Tom something. I don't care who you are. You are a paid spokesman for Humana. And, God, that commercial runs like two minutes. And if you go on the wrong channel in the morning, they got a whole info commercial for it. Who the hell is paying for this? It's not free. Operators are standing by to take your call. Okay, I want to know who's paying for this. Don't tell me they're not getting paid by the federal government for this stuff. And, and I just love it when they, especially dynamite, and it's free, ain't nothing free. And what the hell do you care? You know, Will, I guess his, his name's Johnny. I mean, what do these actors need that extra $1,400 a year for? William, are you that short? And you know, there's something, because he's Canadian. William Shatner's from Canada. You know, if you want to get some logic to Social Security, what if we put a limit on actually applying for it? I know that sounds like an odd idea, but if you've got someone like that's worth 
$100 million, tell me why you need Social Security. I'm just throwing it out there. Why do you need it? You got enough money. That'd be like uh, Garth Brooks. You think his grandchildren's grandchildren need money? Garth said it many times. He had enough money for like four generations of Brooks. So why should he be eligible for Social Security? Yes, I know. He paid in. Listen, does he really need that $2,000 or sixteen dollars to $2,000 a month? I mean, people are always talking about ways to cut costs. That's one I just thought of. Now, the people that have been making, you know, 50000 a year, thirty-five. 60 and just getting by paycheck to paycheck, things like that. I got no problem with that. But if you are, you got a net worth of $10 million when you finally call it quits at 65 or 70, whatever age it is, you really need that extra 2000 a month. Just something to think about. And while we're thinking, how about Aaron Rodgers? Yes, I'm a cheesehead, but not with Aaron Rodgers. Now, the problem I have with Aaron in this COVID mishap, and, and I don't even consider it a mishap, he just flat out lied when he said, I've been immunized. Instead of coming out and saying, I'm not getting the shot. My doctor and I talked about it. He said he was immunized. Oh, and the NFL fined him a whopping $13,000, I think, and the organization like $30,000. Well, didn't uh, Biden sign one of his notorious executive orders that any company with over 100 employees, everyone had to be get the shot? I know it's in court where that's where it should be. Well, I believe the Packers employ more than 100 people. Well, in part of that mandate, if you don't get it, you're fired. Because we've heard about all these frontline workers that are getting fired because they don't want to comply. Well, what makes the NFL different? Isn't that hypocrisy? and? Someone tell me why OSHA, they have put this under the umbrella of OSHA. Now, we know Richard Nixon started it. And OSHA got their playbook from DuPont. DuPont had the best safety program in the United States, bar none. I know this because I worked for them. And one of the requirements of before I could walk into the uh, plant area was reading their safety guide, which uh, that was okay. But when you don't realize what you're reading about, it kind of made it hard to put it together. And I think they could have done a better job as far as, okay, this is, these are what we're talking about. You know, given 
given a highlight at the beginning of the book, like the extruder. Okay, what the hell is the extruder? And what is it extruding? Well, in my case, I was on the nylon strap line. So it was bringing this really hot plastic through. I mean, it was hot. If it touched you, man, it, you got third-degree burn in a flash. I didn't know what an extruder was until I got out on the line because it also went through uh, three, I believe it was three bats of oil. Well, so you had an extruder for the nylon line, but they also were manufacturing PVC pipe. That had a different type of extruder. But when I was in college, I had to take a CFR course. At the, uh, it was fire at CFR, basically the OSHA book. Well, since I'd worked for DuPont and had read their safety manual, now I'm reading the CFR book, and I'm like, oh, shit. They copied this straight from DuPont. That's exactly what they did. DuPont's safety book was the blueprint for OSHA. However, OSHA, in their infinite wisdom in a government agency, when it first came out, abused their power like hell. It was just ridiculous. The fines that were issuing people, but it was about workplace safety. That's why we wear vests on the highways and hard hats and steel-toed boots and their guards on machines. This all came out of OSHA. What the hell do vaccines have to do with workplace safety? Did they check to make sure that you had the smallpox vaccine, the polio vaccine, the MMR vaccine? No. Do they check to see if you got the flu shot? No. But they somehow slide this uh, COVID vaccination under OSHA. What a bunch of crap. That is government overreach at its worst. OSHA is developed to make sure that we go home at night with all of our digits and limbs attached. And that workers aren't doing something unsafe on the job site. Well, that's the little phrase they use to slide COVID under there. Well, as I listed all the other vaccines, how come they're not in there? They're not. That is government overreach, and it's appalling, and it's just getting worse under this administration. My God, they say Trump was a dictator? My ass. And the last I heard, Joe's up to 60 executive orders. I haven't checked that in a while because they're not tracking them. I'll have to go to the Federal Register and see what they've got. But it's just like, you remember that during Trump, people were posting all of the lies or the mistruths that he was spewing out. Well, I went to see where Biden stands on that. And you know what I found? That the same outfit that spent all that time and money and manpower on Trump has said, well, it's not monetarily viable for us. It just takes too much time and we don't want to do it anymore. Bullshit. You just don't want to do it because every time he or Kamala opens their mouth, it's bullshit. And Trump was up to, I think they had the list at like, I don't know, 25,000 or something. And I actually went and looked at that list one day and it was all a crock of shit. That's all it was. Yeah, maybe one in a hundred. He said, he said something that wasn't 
true, but it wasn't detrimental to the cause and it wasn't causing harm to the country. Whereas the other 99 were the opinions of the media of, well, we think this is what he meant. That was that whole list. Because I debated this with my liberal associates a time or two and really pissed pissed them off when we started going through it. And it was always, well, what about this? Well, what about it? What about this one? Well, that's not, yes, it is. You know, you, you hear that argument. Well, that's not what he meant. Well, that's what they said, and that's what's written. So what did they mean? Well, well, let's go to another one. You know, I got so sick of that debate of let's go to the another one until they'd finally find one said, see, I told you, okay, so we found one out of a thousand. So if I do the math, then that means he lied 24 times and not 24,000 times. Like you kept spreading and purporting to everybody and, every, you know, everyone on the left just took it hook, line and sinker. And even to this day, you talk to any liberal I know it's difficult. And they'll just, well, all he did was lie. Well, they are spouting the lies of the lies from the MSM. Absolutely pathetic. So here we are with Rogers. He doesn't even get a slap on the wrist until he gets paid $13,000 for one pass. I know that's an exaggeration. But if you look at his salary, what is it, like 35000 35 million a year? <clears throat> How many passes does he throw a year? <clears throat> Divide that by $35 million. That's what he gets paid per throw. Or you could actually run it up to how many plays are in a game, which is probably, you know, what does the offense run? Let's just do some quick math. Say 55. If they run 55 plays... So that's 880 plays a year. Let's say they make the playoffs with the Packers. They'll be one and done. So we'll add 55 to that. So that's 935. So 35 million divided by 935. He is paid $37,433 per play. You never thought about it that way, did you? That's pretty damn pathetic. That's what he's paid per play. But that's provided they make the playoffs, which they should, because it's just a pathetically bad division again, the Bears, the Vikings, and uh, the who's the other one? Packers, Bears, oh, the Lions. It's so easy to overlook the hapless Lions. Absolutely hapless. Looks like they're on their way to tying another record of a no-win season. So why isn't Aaron fired? You tell me and we'll both know. Oh, that's right. Goodell's a liberal. I'll handle it. I'll handle it. I'm so sick of this hypocrisy and this two-faced bullshit. It's killing me. Let's, so we want to keep our professional sports figures on the field, but we want to send our firefighters, our police, our nurses, our doctors, our forest fire fighters. We want to send all them home because they didn't get the shot. And they're probably making what Aaron makes for running 
two plays. Now you do the math. You do the comparison, and you come up with an analogy. You tell me that makes sense. It makes zero sense to me, but it shows just how bad the values of America have shifted. And it's just getting worse under this administration. What is the really breaking news of the week? Brittany has been freed. Who cares? Do you care? Does Brittany being freed affect your life in any iota? Does it really matter that her dad isn't over her finances? I don't give two shits. Yet Fox thought that was newsworthy. And they had like a three or four minute segment on it today. I'm like, really? Are you that desperate for news? I mean, I realize you can only cover this horrible immigration policy. You you can only give it so much coverage because it's not going to change. Finally, Abbott pulled his head out and is starting to secure the southern border with Texas troopers and the National Guard. But it hasn't slowed down like it needs to. Um, Damn. I mean, these are things that matter. Britney Spears being freed doesn't matter. Oh, I know. Uh, You know, on Fox, how many times can you show a picture of gas prices? We don't need to see it on the news. I can look out the window at Quick Quick Trip and watch the price change. I can drive down to Raceway and watch the price change. The sad part is that's not getting the White House's attention. Nothing gets their attention. I talked about that earlier. Nothing is getting their attention. If a nuclear bomb went off in D.C., I still don't think it'd get their attention. (laughs) They'd come out and say it's, oh, well, that's a challenge and we're working on it. You just got nuked, you dumbass. Good Lord. God, incompetency. It's just, how could anyone in their right mind support this shit? I don't get it. I don't get it. Because they don't want to be accountable. And this next part, you want to talk about accountability. I've watched a debate on FB, one of my friends was talking about white supremacists, and of course, here came the liberals on there, and blah, blah, blah. But what no one addressed was uh, Hawk Newsom of the BLM and his threat to the incoming Mayor Allen of New York City that if you redo the police force like it was, I promise there will be riots and arson and theft. 
and blood in the streets. If that isn't a terrorist action, I don't know what is and why is this guy still walking on the streets? He just threatened the city of New York. He threatened the state of New York. And if you want to expand that, he threatened the sovereignty of the United States. Well, if we go to the Patriot Act that Bush Jr. signed and Obama strengthened it, that some bitch should not be walking around on the streets. He should be in Gitmo. He should be in the basement prison cells in D.C. with all of these, quote, insurrectionists from January 6th. Why are they still, why have they not had a trial yet? Where's the ACLU in that? What have they classified these people that wrongly entered the Capitol building with no plan? Hang on a second. I gotta close my window. So what's the story there? Why is this guy still walking the street? That is a terrorist threat. That's and it's not chatter. That's not, you know, the FBI, the NSA, the CIA. Well, we've heard chatter. This wasn't chatter. The man's on film stating what's going to happen if Allen brings back plain clothes policemen. And in the article I read saying Gestapo tactics, dude, you don't know what a Gestapo tactic is. You wouldn't know it until it showed up at your door and you were rushed off into the night. Hell, they'll do it during the day. <coughs> the, the Gestapo showed up when they damn well wanted to, knowing no one was going to interfere. And they'll take whoever they want to, take them wherever they want to, and do with them whatever they wanted to do. And if you died in prison from torture, too bad. If you were sent to Buchenwald or Auschwitz or Sachsenhausen or any of the other camps, too bad. Dachau, no one was going to question it. That's what the Gestapo does, you dumbass. But the way things are going, that might be what we need to do. You just need to go away. You need to disappear along with the rest of your corrupt, terroristic organization. Oh, but those on the left, I just love that meme they posted. 93% of the protests were peaceful. What about that other 7%? Because if you remember Charlotte, you'd have sworn the whole town was part of the KKK, the way the media portrayed it. Well, but 99% of the people are good. Well, by the media, they looked at it the opposite. Well, it's the 1% of the problem. Well, why didn't they look at that during the summer riots that this 7% need to be that they are just out of control. Oh, no, they were held as heroes. Hell, we got a damn statue 
to that drug-infested, felon-ridden George Floyd. What a crock of shit that is. Anything needs to be torn down. It's his statue. And if any of our government money was used to build that, we need a refund. And we need it now. This is a pathetic time. It is very pathetic. All right, let me see something here. 305. Okay. Let's take a break for a minute. And I'm going to read one of the poems that I wrote. Because the next topics are going to be Travis Scott, Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah, we might talk a little college football with OSU and maybe some COVID stuff. And I might even do the skit that I performed two weeks ago on my comedic debut. This is called I Died in the Sky. And it was my tribute to our flyers. In 1936, I was nothing but an experiment. My designers had good intentions, but so do most parents when they have children. They think they know everything there is to know until that day of delivery comes. There is joyous backslapping, congratulations extolled out, cigars and champagne for all, and then reality sets in. The growing pains are exactly that painful. This doesn't work. That's not a good fit. Too many leaks, too many changes, too many damn problems. But those who convinced me wouldn't be swayed. They diligently nursed and fussed over me. A tweak there, a tweak here. Slowly but surely, I began growing and maturing. At any time, they could have thrown in the towel in utter frustration, but that wasn't in their makeup. Failure was not an option for so much they couldn't see would ride on my future growth. Unlike most infants, I would have to grow up fast and hardy for my service was going to be called upon long before I was ready. I could not have asked for better caretakers. These people I didn't know treated me with kid gloves on a daily basis. We became a close-knit family even when they cussed me out for things I had done wrong and things I had. Yet at the end of a tumultuous and tortuous day, no matter how trying or cranky I acted, they would wash me down, make sure everything was working, and gently put in my berth, smile, and then retire for the night. I cannot tell you how loving those people were to me. Every day they greeted me with a smile, a smoke, and a hot cup of joe. Those who toiled and watched over me at night treated me as one of their own. I was never alone and felt so loved and cared for. This was my family, and I would do everything in my power not to let them down or shame them with a poor performance. I look forward to the day I would be able to return the kindness they showed me with. I wouldn't have to wait long. December 7th, 1941 would be my wake-up call. While I was still young and naive, it was time to grow up and live up to the expectations they expected of me. It was time to join the ranks who were answering the call by the hundreds of thousands. It was time to prove my worth and readiness and repay those men who had given me life. 
It was time to take the skies and earn my keep. My name was not important up until now. Only a select few needed to know. Now it was time for me to be introduced to the world. My names were B-17, 24, 25, 26, and 29. Like my caretakers, we would be a family sworn to uphold liberty and justice. We would bond together and become the wards of our caretakers. It was time to show these brave men and women we would carry them into battle and bring every one of them home safely. It was our time to shine. I couldn't have been more wrong or naive. I would die in the sky. I went into mass production, for there was a war to be won. No longer could they build me by hand one at a time. They had to figure out how to produce me in the hundreds overnight. As in my creation, the growing pains were unfathomable, as those who worked on me had not a clue what they were doing. Mistakes were commonplace in the early days. Not enough parts, tools, or components to keep up with the pace. Many of the workers had never seen a child as I, much less worked on one. I had to trust those who developed me to lead the way and iron out the problems. In time, they did, but without loss. My youngest sibling, 29, would be the most costly and deadly of us. She was ahead of her time in design, range, and payload. Too many of my precious souls would pay the ultimate price for getting her battle-worthy and in the skies and even then, she was known to fail with a full load of fuel and bombs. But I've gotten ahead of myself. Dozens of homes popped up across the country for me and my countrymen. All of those hours of meticulous training and care I took for granted were now making sense. I was a machine of war and was my responsibility to look after these brave souls. Women would ferry me across this great land to way stations where the men would take over and fly me into the combat zones. At the time, I didn't understand why they couldn't take me all the way, but it wasn't an issue for me to question. I was very confused when I found out they didn't have the same benefits as the men, but again, it wasn't my place to contest. They handled me with the same, if not more, loving care as the men, so I did my best to repay their kind affections. I learned names even the history books hadn't addressed. Troston, Hitchum, Abbots Ripton, Neaton, I, Metfield, Ewo, Tinian, and dozens more. These were my new homes. This is where I would bring my children back when the day was done. Little did I know the cost we would suffer. I would learn new names I wish to hell I could forget. Regensburg, Schweinfurt, Berlin, Cologne, Hamburg. Ploesti, Naples, Dresden, Caen, Frankfurt, Kiel, Tokyo, Yokohama, Hiroshima, and Nagasaki. While the names are different, the outcome was not. While each mission was meticulously mapped out and prepared for optimum damage, I still had to get them there and back in one piece. Even though I thought I was prepared for the worst, I could not have been more wrong. It took hundreds of hours to build me and my brethren and countless unnamed hours to maintain us. Yet in the blink of an eye, all that could would evaporate in a blinding flash. I thought I was built solid enough to take it. I thought I was ringed with enough protection to ward off any dumb enough to get in range of my bristling armaments. I thought I was indestructible. I thought wrong.
The more missions I flew, the more vulnerable I felt. Despite being surrounded by sisters and brothers, I could never shake the feeling I was always being singled out. My caretakers never spoke of it, but I could feel I could feel it in my controls. Their sweat would freeze on their faces as we neared a target. The chatter that was gay and jolly before takeoff became serious and sober. I could feel the tension of each person as they were caught up in their own secret thoughts of mortality in the future, and then all hell would break loose. Bogies at 12, 6, 9, and 3 o'clock. They descended on us like locusts, intent on clearing us from the skies. I shuddered and rocked as bullets poured forth from my gun, searching for the enemy. More than not, they missed. No matter how valiantly they fought back, they couldn't keep them off. Instead of keeping my eyes straight, I would glance side to side to check on my flock. I should have kept looking forward. One by one, I watched as wings and engines fell off. Fuselaged, fuselages were ripped in half and stabilizers disappeared. Elevators were riddled with holes. Liquid streamed and sprayed from ruptured lines. No sections exploded in flames. It was too much. Men screamed and cried over the radios as their bodies were holed and burned. I watched in horror as plane after plane fell from the sky. Some flipped over and went straight down. Others kept battling the odds, even when engines were flaming uncontrollably and slowly dropping out of formation. I would watch and count to see how many chutes would billow. One, two, three. Oh, no. God, no. His chute is on fire. He's not wearing one. Oh, how I wished I could turn back to the safe confines of my new home, but that wasn't an option. We had to keep pushing forward in grief for the fallen when the mission is over. I took a deep breath when I heard the call. They're pulling out. It was time for a breather. It would be short-lived. Ahead of us, I saw little black puffs of smoke starting to fill the sky. Flack. This was a foe we could not see, much less defend ourselves from. We could only keep pushing forward through the steel curtain that began filling the sky. It is the most hopeless feeling in the world. As much as we wanted to fly under it, over it, or around it, we could only fly through it. I yawked, I rocked, yawed, jumped, and bumped through the maelstrom. I dared not look to the left or right, for I might be the one who takes a shell. I had to concentrate and keep pushing through. I hoped I wouldn't hear the calls, but they came. There goes Lucky Lady. Rosie is on fire and falling back. Little Ghost just disappeared. Georgia Peach lost a wing and spiraling down. Another 40 have left our ranks. We plod onto the target, grinding and clawing through the cold air in our destiny. We must stay in formation or what is left of it. Target, one mile ahead. Navigator, take over. What beautiful words. What resounding words. In a few more moments, we'll be able to drop our load and then break and run for home. I jump up with the words, bombs away. We bank hard right and start the long journey home, but at least we'll be a bit faster on the return trip. Again, we are forced to take on flak, only this time we can move her freely and change altitudes to keep the gunners guessing. This time, we're lucky with no losses. But the wolves are still waiting, and they're more interested in damaged ships for their easy prey. While we take in a deep breath of soothing, crisp air, we hear the cries from the strugglers as one by one they fall to their doom. I cannot go back to help them. I cannot provide kind words or crack a joke. 
I can only pray for them and be thankful it wasn't our time. We touch down on our home turf and the tension in my skin lets out a large, deep sigh of relief. We made it. Being the first one back, we pile into a Jeep and are driven to the briefing hut. But before we report on the mission, we stand with our commander and start counting planes. One, two, three, four, and then a long pause. The commander is checking off those that are arriving. 10, 11, 12, another long pause. 13, 14, 15. Sir, red flares from number 15. Notify emergency crews to be ready. Red flares mean they're wounded on the plane. The closer she comes, the more pronounced her damage comes into focus. Multiple holes in the fuselage. Two engines were feathered, and she was yawing to the left with only one wheel down. It would be a tricky landing at best. It would take all the pilot's skills to bring her home safely. The wheel touched down and collapsed under the weight. She was belly sliding across the runway. Sparks showered behind her in a brilliant light show. She hit a bomb and spun about, then came to a rest. Emergency vehicles swarmed towards her to tend to the wounded. It wouldn't matter. There were 50 yards out when she exploded, igniting the remaining fuel in her tanks. There was nothing we could do. Nothing. The count resumed, 16, 17, 18, 19, then nothing. We waited for over an hour, all of us. After an hour, they silently shuffled off to eat, smoke, vomit, cry, and then debrief. Six would not return. Another 60 fathers, brothers, and sons lost. I shuddered with the loss of so many, but there would be more in the coming weeks, months, and years. Slowly, my men came to me and started assessing my wounds. This time, it wasn't bad. A dozen bullet holes, bullet holes, a jammed turret, minor flak damage to the airlines and stabilizer. Easy peasy, they would half-jokingly say as they went to work patching me up. Seventy-plus years later, I am still able to hold my nose high in the sky as my caretakers have brought me back to life with the same tender care they showed on me so long ago. I thrill with the throbbing of my mighty engines. They cut through layer after layer of air, hurling us higher into the heavens. The rush is unbelievable, and then it stops. We have reached cruising altitude and peace. I look side to side and see nothing but a blue, cloudless expanse, and then it begins as it always does. I see black dots exploding. The radio comes alive with calls for help. I watch my brothers and sisters explode around me and fall. I hear the cries for moms, dads, and loved ones as they spin out of sight or disappear in a violent explosion. I cringe with the calling of bogeys swarming around us. I job, I jolt with pain as pieces of me are torn off with the impact of bullets and shells. I feel a warm liquid covering my once clean floor. I try and block out the cries of, I'm hit, I'm hit, oh God, I'm hit. Don't let me die, don't let me die. And then it's gone, and the serenity surrounding me returns. I take a breath and pay the only tribute I can by flying true and straight, as the faces I will never see again flow through me. It is for them I fly. It is for them I will honor. It is for them I will fly with pride as I remember them. It is for them. Over 125,000 would serve serve us and care for us 
of those brave, selfless souls, over 57,000 would die. 800. Eighty-four hundred wounded and ninety-eight hundred captured. I will never forget you and will always honor your memories. Yes, even though I am proud to fly today and honor those of my past, believe me when I say I died in the sky. I like that one. I did find a few errors in it that I need to go back and clean up, but... I still like that one. And I wrote that, I think. Well, what year was it? 2000? Was that last year? Let's see. Yeah, 2020. Okay. I thought that was a good time for a break. Okay. <coughs> I am going to read the picture before this is over, so stick around for that because it's it really is one of my best works. Oh. Travis Scott. That seems to be the topic of the hour and what happened there. And, of course, everyone's pointing fingers, nine dead, 300 injured, and how this could have been prevented, and blah, blah, blah. Well, those of us that are, say, 60 or over, I got to thinking, this has happened before, because if you listen to the press, well, it really hasn't. Well, it did at the Who concert in 1979 in Cincinnati. They actually covered that on the show, W. Was that WJRP in Cincinnati? WKRP. That was a WKRP in Cincinnati. Yeah, that was the uh, breakthrough for, uh, damn, Lonnie Anderson. I've actually got her original poster. That was 11 dead and 26 injured. So what goes wrong at these concerts? I mean, yeah, you can say there wasn't enough police presence. Uh, You can come up with anything you want. But when you've got, I mean, look at Live Aid. When they held that around the world for the famine in Africa, and there was 100,000 in Wembley Stadium, and, you know, about the same number at JFK. And I've been to my share of concerts. And, yeah, occasionally there was some jostling. But, you know, those who have been to Willie Nelson concerts, of course, everyone's stoned there anyway, so it really doesn't matter. (coughs) They're too laid back to get upset. But, you know, it's going to happen. Hell. We haven't heard it in a while, but uh, there's been a lot of soccer matches in Europe where people have died at a soccer match because the fans get out of hand and they start wanting to rush the field. So what causes 
people to want to surge towards the stage. In Cincinnati, the surge was trying to get through the gates because of misinformation, bad information. If you watch the movie Selena, you get to see it there where the crowd is trying to get closer to her. And, you know, granted, it's a movie, but people are getting crushed against the stage. So how do you stop that? I mean, this seems to be the issue. Okay, so you can put barricades up there and keep people away from the stage. Well, that doesn't mean they're not going to want to move closer. So you've got a barrier set up. Okay. The only way you can really stop this to a degree, and I, hell, I don't even know if that would work, but you're going to have to set up like, Cattle pens for these really large concerts. And then you're going to have groups that are just, that's where you're going. That's where you stay. You can't get out. You know, lock them in like cattle headed to slaughter. You can't get out. That's where you're stuck. Deal with it. And break up the groups instead of having this one big mass. But why is it? It happens. This is not a common thing. I'm not a fan of the guy's music. I don't give a shit about Travis Scott. But I did like The Who. And like I said, I've been to my share of concerts. But they never got unruly. Even as a teenager, we had a lot of open-air concerts in Tulsa. I remember them passing a joint around because I was there with my Girlfriend Betsy, I think we were 13 or 14. It's like, no, that's okay. Just pass. I knew what it was. No, I just passed it down. But nobody, everybody was sitting down. Everybody was relaxed. Calm, cool, collect. Maybe that's what they need to do. Y'all going to sit down or we're not going to play. Because if you're sitting down, you can't surge. And if someone does get up, yeah, they're gone. Try that. You know, look at our sporting events. For the most part, you have an assigned seat and you're sitting. Unless something exciting happens and then you sit back down. So just, hey, you're not going to stand. You're going to sit your ass on the ground. I'm sorry, girls. You're not going to be able to get on your boyfriend's shoulder anymore to get a better look. Because how you're blocking about 50 people behind you while you're up there. And nobody wants to see your tits flopping in the air anyway because they're nothing to write home about. How about that? Y'all got to sit down. Open air concert. Sit down. I've been to ones in Euless where it was an oldies concert. Sat on the grass. Took a blanket. Maybe that's something to think about. Sit your ass down. Isn't that what our teachers used to tell us? Why? Because if we're sitting down, they can control us. And if you're sitting down, then you can have security, which you're going to have to have a large security force, but at least they can be walking amongst the crowd. And anyone that wants to get out of hand, we're, we're getting rid of that element now. Because it only takes one or two when you've got 50,000 people together to start pushing and then it's just like electricity 
and everyone thinks, oh, we need to push forward. What the hell for? They don't know why they're doing it, but they're doing it. And then once it starts, it's like a tidal wave, and it's not going to stop because those at the very front of the way, they're getting hit with it. So they're forced forward. So they're going to start moving forward because they're getting pressured from behind. I talked about that. Patty Keegan and I were going up the steps and we were both in crutches and started falling. If that guy wouldn't have pushed us up on that landing, it'd been the same thing. It'd been a surge. Patty and I falling down the stairs, crutches flying, our cast flying. God knows how many people we would have hurt because it was between classes and that stairwell was packed. So I'm sure at least 20 people would have been injured. So sit your ass down. Try something new. Standing days are over. Something to think about. Kyle Rittenhouse. I'm sure some of you have watched the trial. I have not. I just remember the video. And at the time of the video, he was not committing murder. It was self-defense. He was attacked. Well, he shouldn't have been carrying a rifle. Those people went to Kenosha because they'd heard, just like the BLM people that were coordinating their attacks, they're calling everyone they can to descend on Kenosha and riot and burn and loot and rob and destroy. And they knew that the police did not have enough people to defend it. The guard hadn't been out yet. So they want to help and protect Americans' property because they're Americans and they were helping their fellow citizens. Well, the only thing Black Lives Matter was helping was their tally of destruction. Rittenhouse was attacked in that parking lot where the cars were, that dealership, because the police couldn't be everywhere. Of course, we can talk about how poorly the National Guard was handled during these riots, especially starting in Minnesota. Why they didn't break him up and stop it there is beyond me. But that was spineless governors. That, that's all it was, spineless governors, because the Guard was out there on day two and told to stand down. Yeah, figure that one out. So what was the point of calling out the Guard? Well, I hope it's different this time. Now the National Guard has been activated and are going to be in. I'm not sure where the trial is being held. And they better have orders to shoot to kill. Too bad they don't have one of those water cannon trucks. Man, those are so cool. I saw that video a year and a half ago. I really like that. Just blast those bastards into oblivion. But uh, it was self-defense. Of course, those on the left, again, those two idiots I know that are liberals, well, they've been brainwashed by the MSN, and he, he was a murderer. doesn't matter that the other guy who actually testified, who lost his arm, who is, what do you say, his arm was obliterated, he was pointing a gun at Kyle. And that's when Kyle shot him. Well, duh. 
Oh, but on the left side, that's not self-defense. He inflamed the situation. He shouldn't have been there with the rifle. He was there to help protect property. And they didn't respect that. And they thought they'd get his rifle and use it on him and anybody else. It, it just amazed me how warped the left is. It, it's just beyond comprehension. When, and yet they say they're all about law and order. They aren't about jack shit. No. They need to go with Katie Couric into that little room at the White House and watch the jack shit cartoon. Maybe they'll be educated. But it's up to a jury. And uh, I liked what his mom said as she's trying to read him. Well, in my experience... When an attorney pisses off the jury, that side's going to lose. That's what happened in a case I was involved in. Attorney managed to piss off the entire jury pool, and it didn't matter how many facts I had. It didn't matter how incompetent these subcontractors were. I remember the judge called up three of the potential jurors, and they'd already made up their mind. They hadn't heard a bit of evidence. All because this attorney, the, the company I worked for hired, she was a twit. Maybe she needs to go to that room with Katie Kirk. It was decided before we ever started proceedings. And I remember that first day of testimony, and that little twit said, well, how do you think we did? And I said, I don't know what courtroom you were in, but you just got your ass handed to you. I thought I did pretty good. And I said, well, who, where'd you get your law degree from? Cracker Jacks? You got schooled today. You were pathetic. Oh, that really, I, I hurt her feelings. I know she was a liberal. I hurt her feelings. Yeah, well, the company I worked for, they got their feelings hurt when the verdict came back that uh, they owe these two incompetent subcontractors some ungodly amount of money. All because they wouldn't let me hire, but that, that's irrelevant. But they pissed when the judge had to reprimand the prosecuting attorney. In my opinion, Rittenhouse won the case right there. Now, I know they're going to have closing arguments Monday, and then they'll be sequestered and start their debate. Their deliberations. And we'll see how that goes. If he's found not guilty, every major state and city that experienced the BLM invasion, that's what it was. It was an invasion last summer. Better be on call. Austin, Oklahoma City, Dallas, Houston, L.A., Seattle, Minneapolis, New York City, Baltimore, Washington, D.C. Every one of them better be ready. Because if it doesn't break out in Wisconsin, it's going to break out somewhere. All they need is an excuse. That's all they need is one excuse to take to the streets again.
So make sure your powder's dry. You might need it. Because they're that's all the excuse they need. Okay, on the lighter side. Number 10, OSU gets to play TCU today at 7 o'clock tonight. I'm very excited. Not really because OSU and TCU, kind of like Texas Tech, OSU always gets in a foot race with these teams. And when they get in a foot race, they lose. It's that simple. They lose. Period. Hopefully, I was glad to see them bounce back from the Iowa State fiasco and just thump Kansas, unlike OU. So I think OSU has a chance this year. I think. Maybe. We'll see. But, yeah, I'll watch it just to make sure. Now, to be curious to see how far OU falls in the standings after losing to Baylor. Yeah, Baylor was ranked. I think they're ranked 18th. Let's see how far OU falls. Alabama's not going to move. Of course, I still think they're overrated because they lost to A&M, who was unranked at the time, and they're still in the top five. And, you know, they beat Northwest Mexico, I think, today. Who the hell is Northwest Mexico, and why the hell are they even playing them? Well, that's another topic for another episode. Maybe I can get Lee Stewart in on the next one. We can talk college football and how they should really try and have a system that crowns a true champion like every other sport. We kind of discussed that last night, but I don't think we'll ever see it because ESPN has taken over college football. They got 48 ball games that, you know, 40 of them are irrelevant for the most part. So you got 96 teams playing, but you can't figure out how to have a uh, playoff system. Bullshit. You don't want a playoff system because that would take away a shitload, no telling how many hundreds of millions of dollars that would cost ESPN. Not that I care. They could shut down and I wouldn't miss a heartbeat because somebody, maybe someone with some values and morals and good people would take over. I think they've done more to infect our nation than anything with all their liberal reporters and bias. It's pathetic. Okay. We did talk about COVID a little bit. Well, each week on my Facebook page, and then I put it on my uh, blog, updates on where we are in the United States and worldwide on COVID. Well, right now, According to John Hopkins and CDC, because from what I have seen, that's the best information out there. Doesn't mean it's always accurate because I still find major discrepancies as I go through these numbers, but it seems to be the most accurate. 40.1% of the world has been vaccinated. 58.3% of the U.S. Now that's going to change tomorrow with the new numbers. We might be at 60 it's hard to say yet there's still 500,000 cases a week are we winning well no one has talked about the hospitals lately yet I know a gal who stays here that she got her shots and she got put in the hospital for a month because she developed pneumonia from COVID 
It didn't kill her, but she was pretty damn sick. So, yeah, you can still get it, even though you got the shot. And as I've said, I got the shot for my own reasons. But historically, year and a half, two years, these viruses die out on themselves like it did in 19 and 20. That's 1919, that pandemic. And we're getting close to that period where year and a half, two years, and I got in a debate with some uh, people on this, and they were medical people, so they knew if they were happening. And they said, well, it didn't go away. It just mutated and became something else, but it would take like 20 years for it to mutate. And I said, okay, well, no, it still went away because it's not like the Spanish flu was year after year after year after year. It ran its course. It died out 20, 25 years later. It came back. It died out. It came back. And there were no vaccines for those strains of it. So what makes us think that this vaccine is going to be any different? It's going to take time to see if this was effective, if it really worked. And six months is not a barometer. A year is not a barometer. It might start giving you an idea, but it's not the end all as everyone start, you know, everyone clamors on Facebook. will look at this and look at that and blah, blah, blah. Everybody wants an instant answer or instant blame game, and that's not the way this works. This is going to take time. I mean, I love the post where I saw they develop polio in a year. Well, what are you smoking, dude? Yeah, that's that liberal dumbass I always refer to. I'm not going to mention his name because he's not worthy of it. But uh, it took 10 years if you did any research. But he got some post from some liberal group. God knows, could have been Apple News and this crap. That it was developed in a year, it was not. But research, oh God, don't do any research. Make your head explode because it's going to destroy your bullshit opinion and unsubstantiated thought pattern. Of course, thought pattern would scare him. He doesn't know what that is, but I, I unfriended him because he just got to the point where the stupidity and remarks were ridiculous. There was no logic. Everyone else that disagreed with me on a particular topic, at least they would substantiate their argument and we could debate it and discuss it. And he would just throw out comments. It's like when other people say that's the dumbest thing I've heard today. Hey, I don't feel so bad. <clears throat> it's pretty bad. So it's hard to say where we're going with this. It'd be I'll be curious to see how many new cases were reported in the United States this last week. Hopefully it's under 500,000. Hard to say. Okay. Let's see. We are at 344. 
I'm going to read this poem from my book, Women of War. Like I said, I really like this one. It's called The Picture. That's the book. How many times have I looked at it? I've carried it around all these years. The edges are frayed and worn. The image is faded. We were so young once and happy. You were so stunning in your uniform. I wore my mother's wedding dress, something borrowed, something blue. We never thought our time would stop. As I write this, I remember the songs from those carefree days, seasons in the sun, slow dancing. He stopped loving her today. Tears cascade onto the paperwork. There are joyful remembrances, not sorrow. You talked of coming back and being a rodeo star. Amarillo by morning, just finished playing. It takes my breath away. When I imagine you in a tight pair of Wranglers and your worn cowboy hat, my God, you were so handsome. And then you were called up. We put our lives on hold until you came back, but you didn't. You couldn't. My life was so empty until our son entered the world. I promised myself he would know you, if only in spirit. I held many jobs and never regretted a one. They kept us fed, clothed, and sheltered. Times were hard, and some days I didn't think I could go on. But I had to, for you, Jack Jr., and myself. God, how I miss you. When James came into my life, I was scared to death. Over time, he assured me, he would accept me, Jack Jr., in your memory into his house. With time, I slowly relaxed and let him bring down the walls I thought were sheltering me from more hurt. I knew I was with the right man when he sat me and Jack Jr. down. Jack, would it be all right if I married your mom? But before you answer, would you ask your dad too? I must have sobbed for an hour when Jack beamed up and said, Daddy and I agree. You will make a great father to me and the best husband mom could find. Many times our children would catch me at the kitchen table, smoking a cigarette, drinking a cup of coffee, cradling the picture and crying. Seldom did they intrude. Rather, they looked at Jack and James for guidance and an explanation. The reply was always the same. Mother is having a moment. Give her time and she'll be back. What is she holding in her hands that makes her so sad? Someday you'll have to ask her, but not today. I never let on. I heard them talking about me. I would pull myself together and place the photo back in my pocketbook and return to the present. Twenty years passed. We were as happy as a family could be. James and I supported them in all their endeavors, whether they be sports, arts, or academics. James planted a garden under my kitchen window with different colored roses for each family member. That lush purple one? That's you. The day Jack Jr. graduated from high school, I was left breathless. 
When you walked across the stage, I saw him standing by your side, smiling, and then you looked up and waved at me. When we came home, I cried for an hour. Jack Jr. and James walked in the kitchen and sat at the table. They both placed a hand on mine, holding the picture. Jack squeezed my hand. Mom, I felt him too. I sobbed uncontrollably. James, I'm so sorry. After all these years, it shouldn't affect me like this. I'm so sorry. He wiped a few tears from my face, brushed a few tear-soaked strands of hair away, then looked deep in my eyes. Sweetheart, we all love you. I tremble as the love of this man fills me with strength. He hasn't replaced you, but he has planted a garden in my heart, once empty and barren. The kids are all grown and have lives of their own. James passed a few years back, but then I think he knew that. I see my life flash by, a lush garden that grew from love. I reach up, turn off the lamp, cradle your picture, and take my final breath. I'm coming home. I don't brag on myself much, but I will on that. That's damn good. I really like that. And yeah, a man wrote that. A straight man. Okay. I hope you like that. Now, I don't think I mentioned this two weeks ago. I might have mentioned it in passing. It's a health update. I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And I did a, what I considered a humorous video that you can see on my Director 59 channel on YouTube or my Facebook page because mine's very early stage i got a lot of well wishing and prayers and support when i posted this but it's very early stage and there's no removal it's going to be radiation they sbrt is the procedure that i chose i wasn't candidate for all of it, but the video itself, and Jerry was mentioning last night just how gory it was. Well, it's not gory, but it is something I could probably add into a comedic routine on, guys, what it's like, what happens after you're diagnosed with with, uh, prostate cancer? You know, we get the PSA, they take the blood, they come back, say, these are your numbers, here's what you're going to do. We need a picture of it. We need to get an MRI. Okay, I've had at least a dozen MRIs in my lifetime. So I'm just thinking this is another procedure. Wrong. 
all of us that have fathered children, we've listened to our wives during delivery. You have no idea what this is like. Well, here's what we do know. You all were made to have things come out of you that are really big. We are made to where things come out, but they're a little smaller and they go splash. We are not made for things extremely large to go in us. I mean, let's see. Think of a toothpick versus a redwood. That's the MRI process. And guys, that's what you're going to be in for. That toothpick will fit nicely in your rectum. That redwood won't. Well, that's what they're going to do. They're going to shove this rectal coil camera. There ain't enough Vaseline to kill that off. And then if it's not properly adjusted, just remember sitting on those wooden bleachers with all the splinters that you had to pick out of your ass after a game. Yeah, that's what it feels like when they start twisting it so they are properly lined up with the prostate. Oh, good Lord, wasn't that fun. No. But, you know, I can look back and kind of laugh. It's like you're going to put what, where, when, right now. Now, depending on the procedure that you choose, in my case, it's SBRT. I remember the doctors talking about it and that they want to put this hydrogel patch between the rectum and the uh, prostate. Okay, no big deal. We can do that. Always liked when my ex-wife, or you know, I've heard my daughter, you don't know what it's like to have your feet slung in stirrups and somebody's looking at you. Oh, I do now. You know, the hell with the modesty, guys. <clears throat> the least of your worries is that hospital gown where your cheeks are flapping in the wind. Believe me, that is the least of your worries if you go, if you got to have this hydrogel spacer placed in. Because I got in there, I sat on the table, and then I saw them taking hardware and putting it in the post. You go, what the hell's that? Are those stirrups? And they go, yeah. Am I about to ride a horse? They said, no. We have to get a better view. So, like I said, forget about the gown you got to wear because you're going to be spread eagled for all to see. And there ain't nothing more exciting than having your legs thrown up in stirrups and you got a doctor and two or three assistants playing happy music, looking at your nether regions, going, oh, well, we got to do this and this and this. And they're poking and prodding and sticking. Sticking things in you, it's like, oh, good Lord. That was fun. No, not really. But if you haven't gone through this, this is, you can watch the video of it on just how much fun it is not. But if it's going to save your life, it's well worth the embarrassment, the discomfort, whatever you want to call it. It ain't fun. I can now 
when a woman says, you don't know what it's like to have your legs in stirrups. Oh, yes, I do. No, I'm not trying to push something out of me that weighs six or nine pounds. I've got something that's being pushed into me that weighs six or nine pounds. How'd you like the reverse of that? That's how much fun it is. But that's done. So this Thursday I go in for, I guess it's going to be like an avatar episode where Sam Worthington, first time he goes in there, he's touching the phone. He's like, Ooh, that's cool. Well, that's what I get to go through. But the amount of enemas you got to use, guys, your system's going to be so clean. You could probably whistle out of your ass. I'm telling you. No doubt about it. But they want everything clean so when they do the procedures, nothing gets damaged. You don't have any bowel obstructions, all that good stuff. But I go in, and they're going to do all their mapping. They're going to be there, I don't know, two and a half hours or something. They're going to map everything out. They're going to make this foam gel mold. So when I come back and I lay down, everything is calibrated in, everything's ready to go. And it's five treatments. That's it. It's only five treatments. So those will probably start, I'm going to guess after Thanksgiving, because I believe they said it was like seven days after the fitting or maybe before, but I don't know. I'll find out when I go. I'm not making any assumptions. But I'm not worried. They caught it very early stage. I think it might be a one, stage one maybe. But uh, guys, you just can't believe how much fun you're in for. But if it'll save your life, you know, it's well worth it. And I'm going to wrap the show up with that. So I hope you enjoyed our time today. I need you to support the show, subscribe to it, whatever you can afford, anything helps. I still have the GoFundMe alive for motivational author and speaker for hire. That's there. And of course, all of my books on Amazon. They're for sale every day. They're just a click away. And I can say this much, you'll actually receive those because they're not on a slow boat from China or sitting off one of our ports waiting to be unloaded. It's a, I guess that's a plus that Amazon kept their printing process in the United States and didn't farm it out because I did get notices from some of those, quote, Chinese publishing companies. It's like, hell no, I'm not going to have it published in China. I made that decision like six years ago. Sure glad I did I did that because it all be sitting in a boat that's probably not going to be offloaded for nine months. But you can get them there, and when you get one and you read it, like it, dislike it, like I said at the beginning of this episode, write a review. It doesn't take that long. Now, I will admit, I've got one book that I need to read. I've had it for a month, and that's usually a very long time, but I've had some other issues, and I just haven't been in the reading mode. So I need to read that for the author and uh, get back to them because 
I promise them a review. And, that, and that's one thing. If you tell somebody you're going to do something, do it. And that's been part of my problem the last couple of weeks. For those who have been around me, it's like when people say they're going to do something, then I expect them to do it. And I don't expect to have to remind them every week on what was agreed to. And that tells me a lot about someone's character. But that's a personal issue that I have to deal with. And I do sell Herbalife. And I do use it. I've got all my empties off to my right. But as I said earlier in the broadcast, it's it's really good stuff. They have not had any problems in distribution, getting their products out. And it's going to help with your grocery bill. I mean, they've got all types. They got 14 different flavors of shakes. They've got the teas. And it's just not about losing weight. Let's get that straight. Everyone's like, you're on a diet, a weight loss program. Well, you know, that's what the buttons say. One says, lose weight now. You probably see these on people. And the other one, get fit now, ask me how. I know you hear that one and you go, well, hey, dumbass, you smoke. Yeah, but I'm working on that. We're getting close to cutting that out because we're really not in the budget. But it's just about getting healthier and feeling better. And I had one girl, I just want to slap the shit out of her yesterday, who said, well, I can't tell that you lost any weight. And I wanted to so so bad to say, well, I see you haven't grown a brain cell either. Nah, she's a brain surgeon. But I don't need that approval, I can feel it when I walk. I know I've lost weight. I don't know, somewhere around 20, maybe 25 pounds now. But I feel better. I sleep better. And I'm not dragging when I'm walking. Now, it's taken four months to get there. But I didn't get fat overnight either. That's been an ongoing process for like seven years. Because that's when I was on it last time. And then I went to work, I got a real job, blah, 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 worked all these hours again, didn't exercise, blah, 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 and I got fat. That's all, like 255 pounds, just unacceptable. So we're getting there. My target's 200, because that's where I was eight years ago, 205, I think. And back then, I couldn't tell the difference. Now, I can. Yes. So that's where I'm on that. And, you know, it's with the price of groceries going up. If you're looking for a supplement for meals, it's, it's a great place to go. And what I like, you know, if you have a blend jet, I've gone on the blend jet side and they get really pissy. If you get on there and start, they won't let you promote, but, well, then you start naming the products and they're like, well, you're promoting this. Well, you asked what I put in the damn thing. Well, I don't have a blend jet. I got a shaker and I'm not going to spend five minutes making a shake. I've watched these people. Uh, the prep work 
that they go through, that's going to get old real fast. This, to me, the blend jet's a great deal, but all these recipes they came up with, my God, it's worse than making a casserole. And I'm looking at everything they've got, all the different ingredients. Like, how long did it take you to buy that at the store, then come home, get it ready to put in the machine, keep it sorted, how much storage space in your refrigerator, blah, blah, blah. I got a canister, I got a scoop. 16 ounces of milk, two scoops, shake it, I'm done. That's my prep. That's it. It's easy. And if you become a preferred member, hell, you get 35%, 30, I think 30% off as, as you start buying more items. But it also will give you energy. And I've talked about that, the liftoff pills, the tea. It's packed with pure caffeine. You take that, you don't need a cup of coffee. You're good to go. You really are. I'm not telling you you got to replace your coffee, but if you're looking for that boost, it will get you going. I can't take the tease and I can't take the lift off because of a heart condition. It After my blood clots in 2010, it knocks it out of rhythm. So I can't do that. But those who do take it really like it. And I guess the last shout out before I close up the store will be to the Shaggy Buffalo. Stacy Legrand's little store on Facebook. Guys, if you really like Western motif and uh, some different type of clothing items. She's got them and she does at least one or two shows a week. Now, if I just get her to return my messages that I've sent her and help her make some money, that might work. And basically it was, she read my, she read Love's True Second Chance. It's like, let me come over for your show. I'll open it. I'll read like the first chapter. I'm going to charge 25 bucks to your customers and you get five. That's pretty easy cash. And with all the gals she has, I think we could, she can make some good quick money and so could I. But yeah, it's called the Shaggy Buffalo. That's all I have for this episode. You all have a great week and I will talk to you in two weeks. I hope you enjoyed our time together. I know I did. Without you wonderful listeners, this show would not be possible. If you want to know more about me and how my brain works, that's a scary thought. Check out my books at jeffdawsononamazon.com, websites, LDDJ Enterprises, and jeffdawsonauthor.site for upcoming releases and teaser excerpts from past and present publications. You can also contact me at Facebook, LDDJ Enterprises Publishing, or email LDDJEnterprises at gmail.com, or on Twitter at JeffDawson59. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Dawson's Domain.